This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage podcast. We started this podcast to deconstruct leadership principles within different organizations and industries and share them with you. I'm excited about today's guest, Tim Lehman, the chairman and CEO of Gibson in South Bend, Indiana. Gibson provides employee benefits as well as business and personal insurance. In addition to leading Gibson, Tim is on the board of directors for Center Bank, Southwest Michigan First, and Intersure. He is also involved with YPO and is the author of a book called Revolution, Turn Crisis into Clarity and Ignite Growth. The foreword was written by my CEO, Patrick Lancioni. Tim is really involved as a leader and understand what it takes to build a smart and healthy organization. He believes in the discipline of having a leadership model to follow and the ROI that comes from that discipline. So without further delay, let's jump into my conversation with Tim Lehman. Tim, thanks for joining. Hey, James, thanks for having me on, man. I'm really excited because uh, I've gotten to know you through a mutual friend. And uh, and while we've had some fun together, I've also gotten to learn just how serious you are about leadership and driving great cultures in your company. And, uh, you know, and I follow you on the social medias and the blog and, and you have a book as well. And so I, I just think this is going to be a great conversation. So thanks for joining. Yeah, well, um, I Pat and uh, the table group and all that's always been kind of one of those uh, from the very beginning, you know, 20 some years ago. And I started trying to think about being a better leader or what that meant. Um, I, I think actually five functions of a team was probably the first leadership book I ever read. So um, I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't, I don't know if it's awkward, a fanboy, I guess, of uh, Pat Lencioni. I don't know if he has many of those, but I'll, I'll sign up to be one, I guess. Um, yeah, so he, he does. Um, we call them table groupies. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, Pat, that was the first, Five Dysfunctions of a Team was the first book um, that I read of his, and it just really resonated with me. And um, and so it's really cool that um, that it did with you as well. And and for me, it was like, oh my gosh, this is like kind of a leadership Bible. You know, like I can take this and run with it and it's easy to apply. Is, is that how you saw it as well? Yeah, I did. You know, I, I love just how he broke it down into a story too, because I think previously some of the leadership books, a lot of them out there could get kind of long and, and very textbook uh, sort of feel to it. And so to, to tell a story, you could relate to the characters in there and either see yourself and in, in some of them or uh, the people around you. And it, I think it made it a lot easier to, to digest. Um, and then, you know, he, I, I grew up in Indiana and went to school there. And so he, he says it in a way too, that was simple enough to, I could even understand it and, and, and put it to work. Yeah. It's a, I have another client who was on a podcast recently and he said, he just loved Pat's books because he could pick it up, pick one up in an airport and read it on the plane and be done by the time he landed. Yeah. And, yeah, three uh, four hours, and that—that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so with that, like, talk to me again. I I feel like you so value your place as a leader, you know. Um, so, talk to me just about your your thoughts on leadership and the role you play, and who you're trying to groom as leaders, and like, just talk to me about that piece of it because I think so many leaders that I come across. Um, don't necessarily take on that responsibility um, to lead and make better and make people better. It's more around leading around strategy only. And so you seem to take that and more. So talk to me about that. Um, thanks, James, on that. Yeah, it, it's uh, something I think about all the time. And I mean, I enjoy it and I enjoy learning and, and trying to, to get better at it. Um, I, I came up in the, the insurance business um, in the sales side of things. And so I was a, you know, a sales jockey out there. And a lot of those skills really served me well and positioned me to 
persuade and get people behind me and, and so on. And that worked really, really well for a long time. Um, when I um, joined uh, Gibson, and I've been here about 15 years now, it's that classic, um, all those things that got you there aren't the things you need to, to stay in place. And um, and I didn't understand all of that. I probably didn't know myself so well and appreciate what I do well. Um, even down to, um, I was always really, really good in sales. I tended to be on the top of the leaderboard always. And But I didn't know what fueled all of that. And, and a couple of things kind of came out of that. I, I learned that this that had more than the sale, I started really enjoying it when multiple salespeople, we were together and we had like a team victory, real team victory kind of thing. And seeing others around me win and succeed started making me kind of shift more into a player coach role. Nice. Um, but again, I didn't appreciate those nuances. Um, and when I, when, I, when I got to Gibson and I was um, about a year or so into it, um, I was named president and became an owner in the company and so on. Um, I, they were Gibson at the time. We, they were really big on, uh, 360 reviews and, and it was, um, it was brutal, um, because, you know, they, they did everybody and their brother got to, you know, um, have anonymous throne, stone throwing available. And I had never in my life, uh, received such bad feedback, um, on that. And, and there was plenty of good stuff, but, you know, I focused on the other part, but, just brutal of about, you know, double standards and treat salespeople differently and don't care about me. And uh, that was actually like gut wrenching because, um, you know, I think I'm a pretty nice guy and I care about people a lot. And so to hear others talking about me that way when they felt safe to do so was just awful. And at first I just decided that they were idiots and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll teach them a thing or two. And, and uh, my predecessor here really did a great job of helping me understand it and and see it for what it is. And he's like, you know, you can you can win the you know the the battle all day long because you're better, smarter, quicker, faster, and 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 frankly, you're you're right in most of these situations. But so then what? What are you going to be president of nobody? Um, <laughs> so he's like, you know, it's something you're going to have to figure out and decide if you really want this or not. And and it's on you to figure it out. You're the adult here, so act like it. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, sir. But but the other thing that he helped me really explore and um, and actually he gave me um, one of Pat's books, um, um, Silos and Turf Wars yeah. and um, um, to, to read. And I'd kind of ignored it. And then I read it some more and it, it just kind of hit me. And what I realized, um, James, was in my sales guy roles, um, I'd ride around in the car with one of the client service people, you know, 30 minutes to the meeting and 30 minutes back or whatever. And that was when I could be me and they could experience me and I could ask them. And I was genuinely interested, like, oh, yeah, so how's your kid doing with baseball? And what's what's going on with, um, you know, the, the the drama team? And and we had a great time. And so then all those moments when I was pressing and pushing and asking for more, I had built up a lot of chips, I think. And and they they knew me um, when I got here. I never, I didn't have any of that history with anybody. I was just anointed in the role and, and I didn't have those moments in time with everybody. And so that was where the disconnect was was occurring. So really long answer all the way around to um, I had to like kind of rebuild myself um, that way to to be a be the the kind of leader I needed to be and to really understand what it was like to to make sure everybody else is succeeding and winning. Um, and and, it, and it's tough too though because I didn't want to trample some of my strengths, which in that the those sales strengths, some of them are you know, um, really great and can do so many positive things, but when not used appropriately or not, not having all the, the background, the context, the engagement, they're, they're kind of horrible. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> um, that is such a great story because it, it reminds me, uh, I got to, I got to meet a guy named Craig Weatherup out here in, in Scottsdale and, um, and spend some time with him. Craig was a former CEO of Pepsi. And uh, and he wintered out here in Scottsdale and and would summer out in New York, but just you know really through church and and I got to meet him and spend time with him and uh, he's on the board of Starbucks now and and wow. so we would talk about leadership and yeah it was it was such a great opportunity and I once asked him like what were the things that you focused on you know, as a leader of such a big organization. And he said he, he felt like he had three jobs and you kind of spoke to it. So it's just such a, it reminded <laughs> me of the story that 
His three jobs were develop strategy. Okay, makes sense. Implement strategy. Okay, also makes sense. And then he said, and James, the third one was the most important, but the hardest. And it was to build followership. I was like, oh my gosh, tell me about that. And he's like, you know, sometimes you have to, you have to get people to follow you even when they don't agree with you. And he would do that by some of the things you talked about. Like when he was, when he would go and, and visit plants, he would, he would stop and talk to a forklift driver for half an hour and wow. just, yeah, just talk to them about his, his family and what's going well at the plant. And, you know, or he would also like, uh, Every summer, he would go out and drive the the delivery trucks with the driver, and spend the whole day and meet the clients, and you know, and and just again getting to know the the people within the company at like really lower levels, and to build that followership and to understand what they were going through. And James did uh, did he ever talk about in those conversations though that, or he comes across as being authentic though and really wanting to know or how how important that was, not just for show. Oh yeah. It wasn't uh, getting to know him. It wasn't for show at all. It was literally like, I want to get to know what's going on at the plants at the lowest levels. You know, I want to know what it's like to be a, a, a driver. Um, and he told the, he told the story of like, he did this, he went to uh, drive the truck in, in Vegas. And of course, you know, Vegas is Vegas. And he goes to, del- they go to deliver stuff to, a strip joint and the GM is like, Hey, I've got a problem with the gun over at the bar over there. And so he goes and like the CEO of Pepsi goes and tries to figure out the squirt gun. That's, you know, dispensing wow. Pepsi and other stuff. And it like some of the springs fall out cause he doesn't know what he's doing. And, and so he's got to go through the muck of the strip joint bar to like, He's like, I wanted to know what was going on. That was the type of person he was. He wasn't just going to sit up in, you know, some ivory tower. He wanted to go throughout the organization and and learn everything he could about it, and and you know, hear from the people up and down the organization. Well, James, it's interesting those three things that you mentioned that that, that he talked about. Um, you know, developing the strategy, implementing it, and then the the building followership, and um, you know the. The developing strategy, I think, is a lot of fun for for a lot of people. Um, implementing it is just really, really hard work. And then it, that can't happen without the followership. But that's yeah. also, I think, some of the most the most fun I have in, in my role is that spending time and haven't really thought about it exactly like that of building followership. But it's, it's a great way to think about it is, I mean, it, it's fun being out on the front lines and talking with people. I love visiting our um, our offices and grabbing lunch with everybody and just seeing how they're doing and in the middle of getting some of the family tidbits and the personal stuff. Um, and you got to listen carefully and you got to, um, I think really evaluate body language and look for those little nuanced shifts or differences. Cause they, they still don't always tell you everything that you right. would like to know, right. but you can kind of get a flavor for the tone that they take or it's dampened just a little bit. And that tells you that that's an area to look into, like something's not perfectly working. Right. Um, in that area. But I have a ton of fun um, doing that now. And and some of that, too, is about getting all the roles, I think, squared away internally and knowing what you're good at and what you're not and having having the right, you know, the right partners um, on leadership teams and, and all that. And um, something uh, I had a, I had a chance to uh, see you in person and talk about the um, working genius stuff that uh, the table group's doing. And it's been really neat. We've been um, um, rolling that out with our team and we've spent a lot of time over the years. We um, use Colby pretty religiously and have for four or five years. So we, we talk a lot about that, but the working genius thing has been neat. It's given um, some extra flavor and nuance again to everything. And it's like, uh, it's so interesting. You know, like I'm a, I'm a galvanizer. I mean, it's one of my, one of my <laughs> strengths. And it's like, I mean, I kind of knew that and I guess it's been on my report cards in other ways <laughs> since third grade and, and my parents, but just to think about like, yeah, you know what? I, like, I do that. Well, it never feels like work. I love it. I'm an evangelist anyway. And it's always authentic and real. Like I can't help myself. It's when I find something I think really works. I want to tell all my friends about, it. I want to say, Hey, you got to, this podcast is great, or this book is awesome, or this service is, is fantastic. And, 
and tell them how it's going to help fix it and, and help and save them this, that, and the other. And, and so I, I've been able to really long-term now be in that kind of a role at Gibson now where I, I get to spend most of my time doing the stuff that I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm best at. And man, what a difference that makes as, as well, just energy and, and, and so on is just so much higher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, you talk, you said you're a galvanizer. If you get to do that over and over and over, that's like what fills your cup. And yeah, uh, and that's awesome. Uh, what just out of curiosity, what was your other genius? Um, discernment. Oh, okay. Discernment. Yeah. But I would have been, uh, and then my, my two, um, um, kind of in the middle zone were, um, invention and, um, tenacity and, you know, it's just like everybody you could probably make a case. I could probably put those. I mean, there's no clear cut galvanizing. It's absolutely me. But um, the other things, too, and I um, are, are definitely right in there on the, the invention side, too. But um, what does that say if you put down discernment, though? Does that is there like a narcissistic piece in that that you say you have good judgment? <laughs> as, uh, so as, as I've been reading about, it, I've been trying to figure that one out. Um, no, I don't, I don't, I, well, I'm going to say I don't take it that way. I also have discernment. So maybe that's, maybe it's a little, (laughs) well, then of course no, we, it's not, (laughs) um, you know, for me, discernment is good. It doesn't always get the credit because you, you know, we're not solving the problems with through wonder or invention. Um, but somebody needs to be that discerning person, um, to go like, Hey, that, that is a really good solve or we need Mm. to tinker with that a little bit more. I don't think it'll work this way. Maybe that way, you know, there needs to be somebody in the room to be able to do that. I actually have a client where they really don't have any discernment on the, on the team. And it's like, Oh my gosh, they go in all these different directions because nobody's ever like discerning and, and saying like, wait a second, that's not a good idea, you know? And so it's kind of initiative after initiative after initiative. And, and, and nobody's stopping them to say, like, wait a second, we went the opposite way three months ago. Yeah. So, well, you, you know, the, the uh, and it might be the industry we're in. So we're in this, you know, insurance agency brokerage space. And, and so far, I've been doing this with our six um, sales teams. So kind of coming into this, thinking about the people that are on these teams are all salesy to an extent. There's call it five, six people on a team. Um, but they also come out of a risk management space. So there's also a little bit of... Um, you know, um, kind of seeing the, the the glass half full and all the things that could go wrong, which what's maybe maybe it's not so um, surprising, but wonder and invention are extremely low across the board. Maybe we we have maybe out of thirty people, one or two invention types, and maybe one or two wonders. And then at best, it's kind of in the middle, and for most, it's a frustration. So it's like mm. one of those things on my mind as I we spend some more time with it of we are going to have to help and I think infuse some of those inventive things into the, into the teams and a little bit of that, that wonder, lots of uh, discernment is, is strong. And then the rest of the stuff tends to be kind of a variety and blended pretty well across the board, but yeah. 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 Wonder and inventions light. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, uh, and is there anybody on your team that has it or are you seeking that? And, and this is something that I think teams need to think about too. So it's great. Um, when you don't have that represented on the leadership team, are you finding it, you know, maybe it was outside of your leadership team? So the, the leadership team is, is good. Um, but it's the six um, sales teams that we have okay. that, you know, five people per kind of thing on each of those teams, maybe only one out of the six has a little bit of invention and maybe one has wonder and the rest, it's like almost a frustration or whatever. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And, and, and in some ways it kind of fits with the industry, but also we got like anything else, we got to keep moving ahead. So it, it feels like it's one of those, the leadership team is going to have to help bring some of those ideas and things to the individual sales teams, I think, yeah. um, to get that done. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, the next piece, you know, we talked a lot about leadership and then we took this sidetrack to uh, the six geniuses. By the way, you're not getting bonused on throwing out different Pat Lanchoni models or books or anything like that so um, i know what i like i told you I, the, the evangelist in me i can't i can't help it so <laughs> no that's great um but the the leadership and you're galvanizing leading people and your ownership of that and building followership as we mentioned really then leads into you caring a ton about your culture yeah. and and again not every leader is like that 
why have you taken that on and and what would be like the ROI of that do you think yeah that um I need to think on the ROI piece a little bit in terms of why doing it um it probably wasn't as um altruistic 15 years ago right it's the um the the need to achieve and accomplish person in me um and you know listening to my predecessor like i realized we it had to be this way um in order to get to the where we wanted to be so i needed to be that way and you know and sometimes in life i think things are good that way you don't always want to go do something or you don't always want to do what you know is the right thing but forcing yourself to do it and it kind of forces you to become become that that person, you know, over time. So a couple of things though that went into that and, and why even the need for it. Um, I, I'd spent about six years out in uh, Arizona as well. And in our, in our industry, um, there was a lot of national players and other players. And so in the firm I was at kind of operated on a, Hey, if you don't want to do this, I got another a couple of fillies in the stable ready to ride. So, you know, whatever, um, right. either you're in or you're out, you'll do what we say. And if you can't keep up on the treadmill, so what? And there was always another filly to plug in from somewhere else. And when I moved back to the Midwest and, and we're in um, kind of joke around and say minor league baseball cities um, here and places like, you know, South Bend and Fort Wayne and Kalamazoo and even even Indianapolis to an extent there aren't other fillies in the stable. And so this, this was my, this was my team and my crew and had to spend a lot more time developing and getting what we had um, and making it better and growing our own. Um, so somewhere along the way there though, I think age and, and a whole lot of things come into play and maybe having children and you start like, at least I did start seeing the world a little bit differently. And, and I, I also had a lot better, um, fairly empathetic person always, but I, I could, I was literally in the shoes. I was in the shoes of, um, and we have 70, 70, 75% female workforce. And I didn't appreciate what they did every day. Um, coming into work, taking care of our clients and then, you know, being a spouse and then being a, a mom and all that stuff. And I, I saw my wife doing it more and I it just had a total different appreciation. And in fact, you know, give our sales people a bad time, which have tended to be the other way, 75% male. Like they don't know how great a job they have. Like, look at, look at what like most of our people have to go through every day. So when that started taking place and that just kind of built on itself and learning and seeing what, what they went through and realizing too, that, I mean, we just, I'm in a hundred percent people business. It's all we have. Um, and we've, we've got to have the best people and, and I really do want them to come out of this, having a great life. I've gotten a great life already from it. My, my future is secure. I know what that looks like, but I, I want, I want everybody to experience it too. And, um, the deeper I got into that learning and, and reading and thinking, I mean, you start peeling the onion back, you just get all the way to that core of, I, I don't know how to do it any other way now. It's just part of who we are and how we do things. And, it's absolutely the fastest, uh, easiest way to find yourself out of Gibson is uh, violating um, some of those, you know, core tenants and values that we have. Treating people poorly, just no room for it whatsoever. And um, and how much more important that is, even than than the talent side. Um, and the other thing is, James. I mean, long term, it's about the only way. You know, man, the world's changing so fast. It's moving so fast. It's about the only way to have a competitive advantage anymore being a, you know, a mid-sized independent firm in a, in America here, we, we got 150 employees. I, I can't yeah. keep up with the spending budgets of all the national brokers all the time doing whatever. But what I can do is field the best team and, you know, we can copy off them in a nanosecond of the tools or resources they think or dream up. None of it's rocket yeah. science. We'll, we'll do the same thing, but we'll implement it better. We'll do it better. We'll have happier people, happier clients, better retention, all those kind of things. And James, if I switch to the ROI part, um, and I don't have the solid math behind all this, but right. but I think some of it though, I can tell you that our um, client retention is like industry leading and it was always good. But if I look back on what it was, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, it's, it's a lot better. I mean, it's incrementally um, moved up. Um, and, and so that's, that's an absolute fact is, cause and effect? Is it because culture's gotten so much better here? I, I don't know, but it happened at the same time. Um, we've gone through um, the last five, say five, six quarters 
in our, uh, we use quarterly surveying tool uh, from a company named um, Amplify. And our score has actually gone up uh, throughout all of COVID. And we're in the top 2% now nationally for their their database. And yet we're, we're doing it and living through all of this right now. Um, coincidence, you know, I, I don't think so. We've really tried hard to focus on our people. We um, we put a little, uh, um, and, I, and I got this idea from a couple of our outside board members and combined two or three ideas, which is kind of kind of my my normal thing to do and tweak them a little bit. And and um, we uh, we put together something called a Gibson Grant. And just thinking about all of our people working from home, we are in the safety management space as well. We have safety engineers, and they're out talking to our clients about ergonomics all day long. And here we had gone, you know, six months of this stuff and our people have to have bad posture at home when they're makeshift desks at the kitchen table and all that. So we put a $600 stipend together for all 150 employees. And then we prearranged about a dozen different things that, so that everybody could get the thing they wanted most or maybe the thing they didn't have. So we had a really nice um, uh, chair uh, that could get multiple screens at home. They could uh, just a a whole host of things like that, that um, would make their working space better and improve. And, um, it was just, uh, received really, really well. Um, and those are those little things that we've, we've tried to do. And I guess it, I guess, so ROI wise, I guess it, it, it seems to be working, but, but that's not why we're doing it either though. It's just that, you know, we really just care about everybody and, and we need their best from them and, and, uh, and we got to give them our best as well. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when I speak of the ROI, I know you know this, but it's, I really get the feeling that that's a downstream effect of everything you're doing. Not the, not the first, you know, reason or motivation for doing it. It's a downstream effect. And, and, you know, you talk about your employee engagement, you talk about um, your retention of clients. And, uh, and it seems like all of this is, is a downstream effect, like I said, of the importance you have and place on leadership and the culture of the company. It's awesome. Thanks. Um, uh, and so I don't want you to have to share your core tenants and core purposes um, or core values, um, but I want you to talk about like how you intentionally hire people around those and like what's the hiring process at Gibson? Because I, I would bet it's different than other places. Yeah, James, the hiring process here, we've gotten a lot better at it and are still continuing to um, tweak it. You know, as we learned along the way um, and got better about um, our core values, we'd identified them. Um, We'd gone through a whole process because, you know, they'd kind of look like they were on a dog-eared sheet of paper and kind of faxed and copied a bunch of times and turned sideways. Like, we're going to, you know, redo these. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. And this, again, goes back you know, a, you know, even a decade ago. And when we got done and we had them all rewritten and that, now these are our core values. Then we looked at them next to the old ones and they've kind of been the same ones for a long, long time here at, uh, you know, we've, we've been in business actually since 1933. So, oh. and they were, they looked, they were so similar. We just had really updated the language around them, but we had realized during challenging times, we had sometimes um, let those um, slip a little bit and um, and I think where where we intuitively brought people in that matched the core values in the past, when we you know were a little tight or we had grown a ton and just had to have some people or whatever, we made some hiring choices that doesn't mean they were bad people and not talented, but they didn't really fit. And it took a while to clean all that up. So um, a few years ago, we got really serious about it and like, well, we need to evaluate on that. So um, we do. We have uh, we shorten in our lingo. We call them QCons, but quarterly conversations. So we don't have really annual reviews here. We have quarterly um, check-ins and and really to talk about what's working, what's not working, and um, and a quick uh, kind of right person, right seat sort of thing. So you know, are you emulating our core values, and and then do you kind of get and want and have the capacity for the job? And so that that was working. Then became really great way to people started voluntarily moving on. And, and some of those, you know, they were tough too. like, Oh man, really you're, you're leaving. But thinking about it later. Yeah. It was, uh, it was just became, it was obvious to everybody here. Like, this is how we're going to be 
um, uh, running the company, but we still weren't quite getting it on the front end on the hiring side. And so we, um, we've created uh, some tools and so on to use. We got um, more serious about um, consistently using the same um, assessments and what those meant. Um, we made sure we had some others involved with the decision with the teams that, that knew the tests better and could help articulate them and what they were looking for. Um, and we actually have a little thing we call getting to know you. And it's real simple. It's um, a little HTML, five questions. And, and um, in asking these questions, we learn a ton about people because they, you know, they tell us what they think. And um, it's not, it's, uh, they're all easy to answer. And so how they answer them, and there's no right answer to them, but you can get a real sense for what, how people share their own stories and how those may or may not fit. Uh, coming in. So we have like some soft stuff and then some hard stuff on that front end. Um, and then we work through a series of um, team interviews as well. And I mostly get involved just with like senior executive or right. salespeople hires. And I realized along the way, we realized that I was a real problem in in some of this too, in, in, our, in, in not hiring the right salespeople because um, I mean, I, I like talking to people and salespeople are naturally wired to say a lot of good things. And although I've got, you know, some, I think, good judgment and can see through a lot of that, um, I would get into these like just enjoyable conversations. And pretty soon then everybody thinks, you know, this is the Ten Commandments and we got to move through. So those candidates didn't get as much scrutiny. And so now we realize that, um, Tim needs to be there on the front end or the back end, but not both. And <laughs> I can play a, a really tough role on candidates that come in from other sources and ask really tough questions with salespeople. I've done the job over the years and I can make it a very challenging interview. I don't enjoy that one as much, but I'm happy to do it. But what we have me doing now most of the time is on the front end, kind of getting people lathered up, excited about Gibson and I'm I'm straining them and running them through a filter on the front end so that only the what I think are the best of the best are coming through. And then I get out of the way and it's not my choice or my opinion at the end because um, I can't I can't do both. You know, it's it's hard to be. But it was an, it, that's an example, though, of and it probably happened on some of our and the other teams and stuff, too, of knowing those roles and, and having all that. And, and since then. Um, like our voluntary turnover is just, you know, it's been at an all time low over the last few years since we've done this. Um, we've had so much better, um, better fit hires for us from the sales end of things. And, you know, what I like too is that some of the salespeople that didn't work for us, it's not that they weren't talented. And so I, you know, I, I'm left with that too of, man, we disrupted their life. They left a, you know, pretty good situation for hope of a great one. And it didn't work here. And then they had to go back and rebuild it all again. And I, I don't like doing that to people either, you yeah. know. So, um, yeah, th that process is so important to, to like, get it right on the front end, the back end. Uh, I'm curious. I, I love the vulnerability there that, like, you being overly involved was, you know, not such a great thing. How did that conversation happen? I'm just curious about, like... Um, potentially an awkward conversation with somebody maybe in the hiring process or maybe like an HR manager going like, Hey Tim. Yeah. If we can get you out of some of this, that would be great. What, what was that like? Um, our, our sales teams tend to be um, run by a player coach. That's a partner in the firm and um, they are less intimidated by me. Um, <laughs> but, but still to some degree as we, as we realize So, when I would see a couple of these people that I thought were just, you know, can't miss prospects not working out with us. And I, you know, I'd have these discussions and I was kind of strong with them about, Hey, are you, did you do everything you could have done? Like, I feel like early on you didn't. And I started getting these, well, I wasn't really even real thrilled about it to begin with, but I knew you were and you wanted it. And yeah, there were a couple of those things you said they were, but we never really checked on these other things that they weren't. And it turned out they, they weren't fit. And so we weren't having success and starting to, and wanting to, to, to tinker and tweak and then realizing that, oh man, this comes back on me. And, you know, it's good. I'm surrounded by people that know me well enough to, and how to manage me a little bit. And so, you know, they, they use the right language so I could hear and understand and listen to yeah, you know, you're you're getting this whole thing all lathered up and everybody's just like super excited and and we didn't do all the homework on that and 
And um, so I just had to kind of throw myself out there and say, hey, um, I'll play any role you want me to play, including none at all. And no, 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 you, you do this better. In fact, yeah, I don't like it when you're like picking apart an idea and you can, but don't do that either because you don't actually love to be all negative on stuff all the time. So you're on the front end, go out and find them for us and then we'll take it from there. Yeah. And uh, we started doing that. And I, again, got into that. Yeah, I'm capable of doing the tough, hard, negative stuff too, but I just have more fun anyway. So it, it just became kind of like a double benefit of yeah. I just spend more time doing the things I like. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And, and James, a second benefit we realized too, is like, it's kind of um, lethal from a recruiting standpoint when you get a CEO reaching out directly to a salesperson, Hey, I want you to come join our team and be a part of it. And they, I get a lot of people that will take my calls or my text or whatever that won't, uh, wouldn't otherwise respond to somebody, maybe in HR or whatever, but they're curious and they kind of always wanted to meet. So they'll take a meeting and, um, that's where they make a huge mistake because yeah. uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get them into the system and get them going. Yeah. Um, so going down that path a little bit, talk to me about like empowering people within the company and letting them make decisions, and and then like what's the culture around if they if people make the wrong decision or it doesn't go the way or there was an opportunity that was missed. Yeah. So, so, so thinking about that empowerment and the mistakes and all the, that kind of thing. Um, I'm a big, like if I had my own personal values, just of my whole life, I could I just simply say it's, I'm an attitude and effort person. So um, somebody can have a really, really long leash, perhaps even too long. If they're coming at it, trying, trying to do their best, given everything they've got, I appreciate that there's different talents, skills and levels and, we need, you know, we need everybody. Um, that that hasn't always come through to everybody on our team here because of, yeah, I'm hard charger. The things you said, um, I can make my case quick and fast. And our uh, my our COO that we've had now for about a year and a half here has just been. It's kind of like that. We fi- finally got the right fit for me, and he he knows me and knows me well, and knew me in multiple lives over the years, and is able to kind of help um, translate. Tim to people <laughs> from time to time and help them um, understand all that. So we're getting a lot better. I think there's a lot more comfort internally about about that, that I've always said it, but I think they, they believe it now too, that, hey, just try your best. We're moving fast. I'm not a perfection person. Like, let's just keep, let's keep cranking and moving and action takes care of a lot. Um, but that was actually a really a huge missing gap. We, we got our culture moving in a better spot, but there's still this spot in between where um, maybe some, you know, ideation, invention, ideas from from me that I've just read, studied, copying other people and bring to the team. And then got this culture thing. And it's like, okay, now you guys take this and like make the idea come to life now. And, and it didn't get done. And one of those um, pieces that's really made a huge difference in all of this um, over the last several years is, is getting like an operating system in place. And, um, you know, I, I first met... Um, Pat through a guy here in South Bend, Indiana named Tony Huddy. And Tony runs an executive forums um, franchise and knew Pat from various things. And Pat came to speak here and all that. And uh, something that Tony is a great mentor um, has always said like, hey, I don't care which peer group you're in. I just want you in one. And I don't care which operating system you use. I just want you in one. And so when I left executive forums and went and joined YPO, Tony was happy for me. And so I think about that with operating systems. Um, I know you guys have one, there's gazelles, and we've used Traction and EOS. And the key thing there is that we have a, a system in place of, you know, here are the the big goals funneled all the way down to here's the cadence of the weekly leadership team meeting. And that was that final piece I needed to really feel safe and uh, to kind of vacate checking in and checking on everybody. And um, that system that we now have in, in place and we're operating throughout the company um, if I feel like it and I just don't anymore, if I feel like it, I can go into the system and kind of see where anything's at and anybody and all that, but it's for them all to, to do. I mean, we, we talk about the issues, they get assigned out, people have to do's they need, uh, to get done. And I just know it's happening now. Um, yeah. and that's given me a lot of safety. And I, I think that's something that executives, um, struggle with, um, for a variety of reasons. They can't communicate well enough. They feel guilty, um, talking about this way, um, and or their second in command really doesn't, um, 
understand what their role is. And, and, and that is if, if you get like a, you know, crazy visionary kind of person like me focused and in the right spots and not worrying about everything, I mean, everybody's going to do better and have a lot more fun. I'm going to bring more for everybody. All that stuff gets filtered, but just make me, make me feel safe. Help me know that you care almost as much as I do about all this stuff and that you're on it. And there's a, everybody's the, the accountability's in place. That's all that, I ever liked and that like that tenacity um, skill. Like I have a lot of that, but I, I realize it's not that natural thing I want to do to go checking in on it. But I, right. I will do it myself just because I want to be successful. But it's not because it's natural, you know, that I I want to do all the work involved with it. So I I really believe that having that system in place has allowed so much better um, input from so many more people. They're a part of it. They're owning it. They're accountable for it and and we're getting more and better ideas and everything back out of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, you're right. Having a, a system that you're following and that you're disciplined with is is really important. And there's so many out there. And there's so many that overlap with each other, too. I mean, you mentioned uh, the four disciplines, uh, traction, gazelle. There's a lot of overlap in all of those. Uh, and, you know, one, one last topic I'd love to touch on um, because I think it's so hard. I'm working with a client right now where it's like painful and it's, you know, it just is human nature is around accountability. And um, you're, you know, you're a galvanizer. You're well liked probably. I I mean, you know, I know a a few people who know you. I like you. We all like you. You know, you're a likable guy. Talk to me about like accountability not through the system, but when you have to have those conversations. Yeah, James. Um, yeah, the system helps a ton, and I prefer it that way. Let the right. you know the truth will set us all free. Did you get it done this week, or didn't you? And don't need to yell and do all those kind of things. But at certain points in time, whether it's your best player on the team or the weakest link, you have to have some of those tough conversations. And um, I don't know how or where or when it came to me. Um, but it's always been something that's come really, really naturally for me. And I don't mind having them. And if I can, I've realized they go poorly if I haven't put the chips in and built up the relationship. But if I've done those things, um, I've been able to over the years have some really, really difficult conversations that have led more often than not that we've saved somebody or saved a career here versus not. I mean, I, I tell people, I'm that friend that's going to tell you if you have, you know, a booger in your nose and James, don't worry, you're, you're good right now. But <laughs> thank you. And, and I want you to do the same for, uh, for me and help, help me that way, because that's like the truest form of, well, of love really of caring. If you really, really care about somebody, you, you talk to them about what they need to do to be at the level that we expect them, you expect them, I expect them to be, and, and really what they're capable of. And, it's actually, and it's it's actually part of our theme this year with the company that we're going through is it's actually selfish to not have the right kind of difficult conversation because totally. you're actually more worried about yourself and how you are going to feel having that than what it means to the other person. And in the Midwest here too, we have a huge, huge struggle with this because, you know, you're from, from birth, you're, you're taught to be nice and sweet and kind and all these things. And somewhere along the way, um, you actually get on the wrong side of integrity because you think being, uh, you know, mean is wrong. And so they you better, you know, and, and you think telling somebody the truth um, can feel mean and therefore not going to do it. But truth is like the integrity part of it all that, that that's where it matters. And when you can break through with somebody and they know that you're in their corner, you support them, but it's not enough or it's not as good as it could be or should be. Um, you know, magic happens. Yeah. I, I will tell you a little story of uh, involves uh, Arizona too. My when I really kind of understood all this for the first time, um, when we, uh, my wife and I moved out to Arizona, we moved into a, you know, kind of a starter neighborhood, growing neighborhood, and um, for the first time in our lives, we're connected with a lot of Californians who had, you know, come over and like, hey man, you do you, I do me. Fences <laughs> in the backyard are cool and that's great and real laid back. And then a lot of um, East Coasters as well. So for the first time in my life, I was around people from New York and Philadelphia and all these places. And um, a couple that moved in same time right across the street were from uh, Queens and Long Island. 
And um, we got to be terrific friends with him. Um, he was in sales also. And so we just had, um, you know, disposable income at the time. Probably should have done something different with it. But we, we wasted it on fun dinners uh, multiple times every week and had a great time with him. And very early on in that, I remember um, uh, Noel um, telling me, that's an effing ugly shirt uh, at, at dinner. And to, you know, to my, my wife and I at age, you know, 25, uh, just made that like shudder, like, do, do they hate us? Like, what's the, and, and as I got to know Noelle better, and I've oh, used that great. story a lot. No, she just wanted me to know that she thought my shirt was ugly and it had absolutely nothing to do with how she felt about me or us or our friendship. And what I came to appreciate then and, and learned from was, um, and love that was, I will always know when Noel is upset with me about something or whatever in our relationship, I don't have to guess because she's just going to tell me. And if she right. doesn't say anything, then everything's great. Um, and I, I did get a different shirt too. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you burned that one. Oh, that's so good. Um, all right. Well, you, you know, I'm conscious of your time. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to ask you because, you know, again, follow you on Twitter and read the blogs. Uh, do you have a favorite leadership quote? Favorite leadership quote? Um, you know, it's something that's been um, really near and dear to me. It's more of a whole um, kind of story. There's a quoter in there, but um, Jim Collins had mentioned or uh, told that story of the Stockdale paradox with um, Vice Admiral Stockdale. And, and I'd always known him just right as that it was a character on Saturday Night Live, you know, um, back at, he was Ross Perot's uh, vice presidential oh, right, candidate running right. mate, you know, but he had this great story of being a POW um, in, um, you know, in Vietnam and, and just, just amazing. But that, that really kind of, you know, kind of, it's, it's a really, it is a real paradox. It's, it's being honest about just how dire and dark some of the situations that you're in are never, ever um, giving yourself uh, false, you know, false hope or thinking as, as he said, that the guys that didn't make it were the ones that, um, Hey, by Christmas, we're going to be out of here. And they died of a broken heart, but by the same token, never, ever giving up hope that, um, you know, in the end, you're ultimately going to succeed and make it and survive. So it's, it's kind of this like tough, brutal, like horrible thing to think about, but in with COVID and everything. And, and I look at it in my life, like, you know, wow, that, yeah, don't lie to yourself when it's tough, it's tough and do all the things you got to do, but don't ever lose hope that um, as long as you just keep playing the game and you stay in, yeah. you're going to win um, yeah. in the long run, you know, and, and you're not competing against anybody else. All you got to do is just stay in and keep going. Um, yeah. Very long quote, but yeah, I, I've really, really appreciated that. Uh, actually, it came up in the last podcast that I did with uh, John Brady, so that that's funny. Um, oh, awesome! Yeah, so uh, yeah, and it's kind of the difference between having faith and being overly optimistic. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, when they tell me talking about the guys that died of broken heart, it was like, wow. Yeah, um, pretty cool. Yeah. How about you, James? What's do you have a do you have a favorite one? Um, yeah, I think my favorite would be um, uh, the it, it, because it's like a team one, and and I'm I'm kind of a team guy. Uh, it's uh, the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. And uh, where I first came across, it's actually from the Jungle Book, uh, but where I first came right? across it, yeah, was um, uh, Phil Jackson would share it with his teams. And I just love it, you know, the strength of the well, That does the sound like kind of like a Zen master Phil there too, because it, it's like, it's that, it's got that accountability and that personal responsibility. Don't forget, you got to be the wolf. Your team needs you to be, Yep. Um, but, but it's because you're a pack together like that. So, all yeah. right, well, it's another one I'm going to be borrowing. So I appreciate <laughs> uh, you sharing that. <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, Tim, this has been great. And uh, thank you so much for joining. Um, can you just share with people like, you know, where they can find you on all the different forums and, you know, platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm really easy to find my, my uh, Tim Lehman, uh, but my last name is L-E-M-A-N, no H in it, but uh, Tim Lehman. And I pop up on uh, Twitter pretty quickly and LinkedIn on both of those and do a lot of my um, stuff there. Um, I, I wrote a, a book and published it back in 2015, um, about all the dumb stuff I did. And a lot of these, uh, if you want to actually hear, uh, read some of the commentary from my reviews, it's in there, uh, verbatim. Um, so 
And it was really just a chance. I wanted to share that um, not everything's just super linear and we all can't all be, you know, Pat Lencioni and Jim Collins and all these, uh, some of us are mortals and, and it doesn't happen overnight. And there's a lot of screw ups along the way to get there. And, and maybe uh, in reading that somebody won't have to uh, screw up as often as I did. I took a, did take a page out of Pat's book, so to speak, and that it's probably about, uh, you know, 120 minute read. Um, so it's, uh, it's not, you know, not too, uh, too terrible that way. And the name um, of the book is? Like Amazon. Yeah, that would be helpful, wouldn't it? It's um, spelled like revolution. It's meant to be our evolution, um, turn crisis into clarity and ignite growth. And um, still out on Amazon. And um, when the 68 cent royalty check comes, I will I will thank you all for it. I appreciate it. <laughs> nice, nice. And, uh, and you've got a blog. Yeah, and it, so at um, at Gibson and uh, uh, our our company website's thegibsonedge.com. Uh, we run a um, a lot of blogs off there, but Fridays are all for executives and leadership. Um, I write or provide the input uh, once a month on those, um, and uh, then we have a lot of guest bloggers that uh, plug in on the other, and I mean, really have some awesome stuff in there uh, for uh, for everyone. So um, that'll be cool, and then. Uh, James, we're uh, kicking off a podcast here um, as well soon called um, The Edge. So, and really, it's all going to be focused on uh, talking to leaders about their their journey and what what got them where they were at and and all the rest of that. All right, I'm sure it'll be awesome. So, hey, thanks, man. Um, all right, well, thank you so much for your time, Tim. This has been great, and uh, we we'll look forward to uh, connecting with you again. Sounds good. See you in all Arizona right. sometime. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.